from Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. The bases are loaded and there's nobody out. What? And you're pitching, Johnny boy. Bert McGraw. Yep, right as rhubarb. What's in your mind, Bert? You and a job you didn't finish. A job I didn't... What are you talking about? The Mason-Dixon matter, remember? Well, sure. Ruth Dixon's body was found on Newport Beach. But you didn't find out who killed her, Johnny. I figured that was a job for the police. They want to talk to you about that. And so do we. Oh? Yeah, Ruth Dixon was insured with our company. For how much? A thousand dollars. One thousand? You don't expect me to go back to Newport for the commission I'll make off that, do you? Nope. But if you'll go, we'll foot the bill. Oh, how come? Tell you when you get here. Interested? Yeah. Now. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Providential Assurance Company, 393 Dewey Avenue, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Dixon murder matter. Expense account item one, $1.20 taxi from my apartment to the Providential building. Along the way, I did some thinking. A week ago, a girl's body had been found on Newport Beach. The Masons and the Dixons had each identified it as the body of their missing daughter. I managed to locate the Mason girl... That meant that Ruth Dixon was the girl on the beach. Who had killed Ruth? Well, I didn't figure that was my job. But evidently the branch of Providential did. Why? Well, I hope Bert McGraw would tell me. Oh, Johnny, come in, come in. Ah, morning, Bert. Uh, about this Dixon matter, I suppose you're wondering why I was so anxious for you to go back to Newport. Well, I am kind of curious, Bert. Well, I told you, Ruth Dixon was insured with our company. But for only $1,000, you'd save money by paying it off and forgetting it. Maybe. But it isn't that easy. Oh, why not? Because of the Newport police, for one thing. Well, what have they got to do with her insurance? Well, not a thing. But they have got plenty to do with our company and its representatives. And last week, you were one of them. So? So the Newport police, uh, Captain Lewis of Homicide, to be exact, called here this morning. Who's Lewis? Miller was the man I worked with. Uh, Lewis took over because Miller didn't follow up on you. And he's very unhappy with you, Johnny. I can't imagine why. No? Well, Captain Lewis says you left Newport without giving his office all the information you had on the Mason girl. The Mason girl? What's she got to do with the Dixon investigation? Well, how should I know? Darla Mason didn't even know Ruth Dixon. Lewis says different. But that's beside the point. We can't afford to have any police department in this country feeling the way the Newport boys do about our investigators. Oh, come on now, Bert. It isn't at all that serious. Johnny, we have to have police cooperation. And we can't force them to cooperate, so we try to build up a sufficient amount of goodwill. But, Bert, no, I... No, it's too late to apologize. Who's apologize? Captain Lewis chewed out my boss, my boss did it to me, and I have orders to do it to you. Okay, so get it over with. Well, I... I'm almost through. Uh. Except that no matter what it costs us, it's going to be worth it to have goodwill restored. 
You understand? Sure. And whatever you do in Newport, please keep Captain Lewis informed. If you stumble onto something that might lead to the Dixon girl's killer, tell Lewis about it. Okay, Bert, whatever you say. Oh, uh, no hard feelings, Johnny. No, 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 everything's just fine. Oh, good boy. Glad to see you understand. For an expense account like the one you're going to get, I can understand the theory of relativity. I took a cab back to my apartment. That's item two. Item three, $18.50, transportation to Newport, Rhode Island. After checking into the Ogden Hotel, I called headquarters. Captain Lewis wasn't in, so I left a message asking him to call me. Then I called the girl in question, Darla Mason. Johnny, hi. What are you doing back in Newport? Oh, just winding up a little unfinished business. Nothing to do with me, I hope. No, not a thing. Uh, Darla. Yes? If you're not busy tonight, uh, why don't you meet me for dinner? Why, Johnny, I'd love to. Fine. You say where? Mm, well, how about the yacht club at eight? Of I can take the cruiser from our dock. And after dinner, we can go for a ride on the bay. Mm, sounds great. See you at 810, Johnny. Bye. Bye. Expense account item four, $15 worth of American Beauty roses for Ruth Dixon's mother. I rented a car and drove out to the Dixon home. The moment I stepped into the house, I could smell the heavy, sweet odor of oriental incense. While Mrs. Dixon put the flowers in water, I located the source of the incense. It came from an ornate burner on the mantel in the living room. Behind the burner, draped in black, was a large photograph of Ruth Dixon. And on each side of the photograph were two lighted candles. Oh, Mr. Darlow, these are the most beautiful roses I've ever seen. Well, I, uh, I'm glad you like them, Mrs. Dixon. Oh, yes. Ruth will, too. Beg your pardon? I said Ruth will like them, too. I'll take them to her in the morning. Uh, that is, if you don't mind. Oh, no. No, not at all. Mr. Darlow, I don't know how you feel about such things. But I believe those who have passed on never really leave us. What do you think? Well, I, uh... I haven't given much thought to the subject. But you should. Ruth will appreciate these roses as much or more than she ever would have. Do you believe that? Well, I... Well, I, I didn't know Ruth when she was a lot... When she was here, Mrs. Dixon. Oh, that's right. You didn't. Well, she's still here. And if there's any doubt in your mind, why, you just come with me and visit Madame de Salle. Madame de Salle? Yes. She's been such a help and comfort to me these past few days. Well, without her and her teaching, I'd have been completely lost. This Madame de Salle, what is she? She's just an ordinary person, but she has wonderful occult powers. She can see beyond the veil, Mr. Dollar. And she's promised to let me speak to Ruth as soon as the conditions are right. Do you know when that will be? Lucille? In here, Henry. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Dollar. I have to put out these candles. Henry doesn't believe like we do. <coughs> Why? You've been at it again, haven't you, woman? Now, Henry. <laughs> Open the windows. <coughs> Get the smoke and the smell out of... Oh, Mr. Dollar. <coughs> Afternoon, Mr. Dixon. 
What are you doing back in Newport? He's trying to find the man that caused our girl to pass on. Oh, she didn't pass on, Lucille. She died. Henry, really? Well, anyway, I wish you luck, Mr. Dollar. I have a hunch I'm going to need it, Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dollar, wouldn't you like to stay to dinner? We aren't having anything fancy. Just leftovers and boiled cabbage head. Oh, my... Now what? Why, I just remembered why I burned that incense. And it wasn't what you thought, Henry Dixon. It was on account of the cabbage. It it covers the smell. <laughs> That's not the truth, and you know it. Oh, now, Henry. Look at that mantle, Mr. Dollar. <laughs> She's made a regular shrine out of it. Looks like a heathen altar. Henry. Well, it's the truth. And I wouldn't blame Mr. Dollar if he was afraid to stay to dinner with a woman like you around. You aren't afraid to stay, are you, Mr. Dollar? No, of course not, but I do have another engagement. Oh, well, any time you can come, you just let us know. Yes, thanks, I'll remember. Well, now, if you men will excuse me. <laughs> you will. And you open the windows in the back. Yes, Henry. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Yes? When Madame de Salle arranges... That fraud... When Madame de Salle arranges for me to talk to Ruth, I'll let you know what she says. Good evening. Poor dear. She hasn't been the same since Ruth's body was found on the beach. Mr. Dixon, according to the medical examiner, Ruth's body was in the ocean for approximately six weeks. Mm, that's right. Do you remember if Ruth was going with anyone in particular just before the time she disappeared? The police asked me the same question. I couldn't answer it. You mean you don't remember? I mean that Ruth wasn't a girl to be tied down to one man and any more than she's content to live like she had to after my health failed. Did she date very often? Well, you know, she worked as a hostess at the yacht club. Yes, sir. She met a lot of rich young men there. And if you ask me, she dated too much. Of course, her mother took Ruth's side, said she had to if she was ever going to get herself a husband. But she went with no one in particular. No... She never settled down enough. Uh -huh. uh, what about her friends, Mr. Dixon? Was there someone she might have confided in? She didn't have any girlfriends. Like men a lot better. Uh -huh. But, um... Oh, there was somebody. Well, I expect you could say he was her friend. Too old to have been a boyfriend. Besides, he doesn't have enough money. Who is he? His name's Sam Hood. He runs a small craft repair shop down by Viking Beach. Viking Beach is on the Atlantic side of Newport, approximately a mile from Land's End, where the Dixon girl's body had been washed ashore. Once there, I didn't have any trouble locating Sam Hood's repair shop. It was on the end of a large wharf. For a moment, I thought the wharf was deserted. Then I heard it. Below the wharf, sitting low on the water, was an old converted PT boat, and standing on deck, tinkering with the controls, was a heavy-set man wearing thick glasses and greasy dungarees. I was about to call him when he looked up. Afternoon. Hi. Help you? Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking for Sam Hood. He ain't here. Gone on his vacation. Oh, fine. Can I do anything for you? I'm his brother, Leroy. Wow. Yeah, Leroy, maybe you can. You want me to come up or you going to come down? I'll come down. But uh, how do I do it? Stairs over to your left there. Oh, sure. You're a stranger around here, ain't you? Yep. That's right. Well, I'm always glad to meet up with a stranger. This is such a little bitty place. Most everybody along the waterfront's heard everybody else's stories so many times till they're sick of it. 
What'd you say your name was? It's Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Well, welcome aboard the Connemore, Mr. Dollar. Connemore? That's an odd name for a boat. Sure is, ain't it? But I found it in a book. Sure fits her. And me, too. What's your line, Mr. Dollar? I'm an insurance investigator. Well, now, that must be mighty interesting work. Yeah, sometimes. Um, can you chew tobacco? No, thanks. Oh. Well, I got a brand new plug of brown mule here. Ain't had it out of the wrapper. So if you want some... No, no, thanks, Roy. You sure missing something? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, my tooth. You want to take a look around? Go ahead. Of course, the more ain't no crap. Excuse me, uh, what did you say? I said... The Carmel ain't no fancy yacht, but she's all mine and Sam's, and I'm proud of her. Oh. Uh, where did you say your brother was, b Um, Sam? Oh, he's visiting our folks down in Augusta. I would have gone, too, but somebody had to stay in mind the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know when he'll be back? Um, not for sure. But anything Sam knows about, so do I. We got real runny mouths in our family. <laughs> Tell me, Leroy, did you know a girl named Ruth Dixon? No one just to tip my hat to. But Sam did. Yes, sir. Uh, that gal and Sam, they used to sit up there on the wharf looking out toward Gooseberry Island, and they talk, talk, talk. You know what about? Nope. Get off that railing, you whitewashed brother! See <laughs> Leroy, you told me a moment ago Sam couldn't keep a secret. Well... He said she was full of dreams. Man, you asked me, she wasn't nothing but another two-timing... Uh, just like all of them. Oh, that's not a very good opinion of her, Leroy. I can't help it. Sam was crazy for her, but she didn't even let on like she knew it. How did your brother take the news of her death? Oh, just awful. That when I left town? Yep. Does Sam own a thirty-eight revolver, Leroy? Oh, sure. Most everybody who has a boat owns something like that. Hey, wait a minute. You getting ideas? No. Just asking questions. Oh. Well, Sam couldn't have killed her. I know it. What makes you so sure? Well, because he's my brother. And how he was so broke up when he heard about Ruth. Why would you suppose anybody would want to put a bullet in a pretty gal like that? I don't know, Leroy. I don't know. I asked him a few more questions, watched him chase the seagulls off the railing once more, then left. At 7.45, I was sitting in the Yacht Club bar waiting for Darla Mason. At 8.30, I was still waiting. And at 9.30, I gave up and went back to my hotel. I hadn't been in my room ten minutes before someone started pounding on the door. Darla! Darla, you in there? Yeah, yeah, who is it? Captain Ruiz, open up. Well, good evening, Captain. Uh, nothing good about it. Huh? Fine thing you pulled. You come over here to help, then you go gallivanting off where nobody can find you. I called your office as soon as I hit town. Because the people you're working for in Hartford told you to. Now, look. That insurance agent said you were skeptical about there being a connection between the Mason and the Dixon. I still am. Now, you won't be when I tell you what happened earlier this evening. Okay, so what happened? Dollar Mason was shot. And the sure. bullet came from the same gun that killed Ruth Dixon. <laughs> Ah, 
Act Two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. It is a very well-known fact that symbols are important to men everywhere. Whether they be symbols of country, religion, or honor, they're a cherished part of the culture and tradition of all peoples. As in almost all countries of the world, the people of Spain are very religious. And in the Spanish town of Vendrell, the people were having difficulty with a symbol. A 300-pound angel sitting on top of a 150-foot church steeple. The angel had been there since 1784 and needed repairs to keep it from falling down on the heads of the parishioners. But 150 feet is a long way up, and 300 pounds are a lot of weight to bring down. Well, there was a great deal of head-scratching over the problem until someone casually mentioned the problem to someone else who happened to be stationed at the United States Air Force Base in Zaragoza, Spain. It wasn't long before visions of a helicopter came to mind. Because Americans like to help other people everywhere, the Air Force Whirlybird lifted the angel from the church steeple, brought it down for repairs, and later returned it to its perch. So grateful were the people of Vendrell for this act of friendly cooperation that they held a mass celebration of American Day to show their appreciation. Television and newsreels carried the story of kindness. So did the newspapers and magazines throughout Spain. This gesture on the part of the United States Air Force created a new symbol, a symbol of friendship and understanding. It became a symbol of freedom, the right of all men everywhere. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Dixon Murder Matter. Expense account item six twenty cents for two cups of coffee at the Eat Right Cafe near my hotel, where Captain Lewis proceeded to give me the details surrounding the shooting of Dollar Mason. She had been on her way down to the Mason boathouse, where she planned to take the cruiser across the bay to the yacht club. As she neared the boathouse, someone had fired at her. And the bullets that wounded her came from the same gun that killed Ruth Dixon. So there was a connection between the Mason and Dixon girls. And if you want more proof, I have it. Like what? Well, they both spent a good deal of their time at the yacht club. Yeah, but for slightly different reasons. Ruth worked there before she was killed. But she must have known Dollar Mason. No, no, that's no good, Captain. You go to the district attorney with that kind of evidence and he'll throw you out of his office. He'll want proof they knew each other and how well. Yeah, I suppose... What about Darla? When can we see her? When the doctors tell us we can. She still hasn't regained consciousness. Hey, Captain, do you know where the Masons have the work done on their cruising? Yeah, and that's another thing. That's Sam Hood's place. Have you questioned him? Never had a chance to. According to his brother, he's away on some sort of vacation down Georgia. Left the day the Dixon girl's body was identified. Are you sure he's still in Georgia? Well, I can ask the Augusta police to check up on him. If he is... Have them tell him about Darla being shot up and find out if he knew her. Okay. Well, you ready? Yeah. No one was seen prowling around the Mason place tonight, huh? Well, nobody else was down at the boathouse. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Sure, Captain. Then stop being so formal. My name's Pete. Okay, Pete. Well, I guess we've done all we can for a while. I'm not so sure. Well, what do you mean? I'm not sure about that either. But I have an idea. 
Or maybe I ought to call it a hunch. About what? Well, I... I'd like to sleep on it first, if it's all the same to you. Have I anything to say in the matter? Nope. Not a bit. It was late and I was tired, so I did the obvious thing and went to bed. Early the next morning, I called the hospital. Jala Mason had regained consciousness and would recover. But she couldn't be questioned for another two or three days. So I finished dressing and went down for breakfast. I was crossing the lobby when someone called me. Mr. Dollar. Mm. Mr. Dollar. Oh, Mrs. Dixon. I've been waiting to see you. Well, you should have called. I'd have come right down. Oh, no. I was afraid I'd wake you up. And I didn't want to do that. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you. Mr. Dollar, is there some place we can go and talk? Well, there's my room. Oh, no. I mean, when it wouldn't look right, you know. Oh, um, yeah, well, then, uh, how about over here? Looks like a nice, quiet corner. Uh, yes, this this will do nicely. Mr. Dollar, remember I told you about Madame de Salle? Yes, I remember. Uh, would you like to sit down? Oh, no, I'm too excited to sit. Excited? About what? Well, I've been trying to tell you about Madame de Salle and what happened last night. What did happen? The conditions were right. I beg your pardon? The conditions. They were right. Remember, I told you, Madam was going to let me speak to Ruth when the conditions were right. Well, they were last night. Oh. Well, aren't you interested in what Ruth had to say? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, I am, Mrs. Dixon. She told me who killed her, Mr. Dollar. What? Yes, sir. Just as plain, I heard it from Ruth, and there's no doubt about it. It was her voice, all right. Uh, Mrs. Dixon, exactly what did Ruth say about the person who murdered her? Oh, Ruth described her to a T. Her? She said it was a woman. Young, dark hair, brown eyes, and a big red scar on the back of her left hand. I see. You seem disappointed, Mr. Darlow. I, I guess I was doing a little wishful thinking, Mrs. Dixon. Well, wishful thinking or not, Ruth told me who it was that killed her. Oh, her name, too? Well, she didn't know her name. Oh. But that big red scar. Now, you find a woman who has a thing like that on the back of her left hand, and you'll have the guilty party. Yes, well, I'll look for someone like that today, Mrs. Dixon. Now, come on, I'll buy you some breakfast. later, back in my room, I put in a call to Captain Lewis. Morning, Johnny. Morning, Pete. Anything new? Well, we heard from the Augusta police. Yeah? Sam Hood's in Augusta, all right. Been there for over a week. Uh-huh. Did they ask him if he knew the Mason girl? I said he did. Said the Masons used to let him and his brother service a cruiser. Uh-huh. Johnny, when are you going to stop playing games and tell me your idea? Uh, hunch, you mean, Pete. And I'll tell you just as soon as I get back from the library. Oh, and while you're waiting, call back the Augusta police. Have them get hold of Sam Hood again. What for? Ask him who named his boat. What? Yeah, ask him if it was his idea to name it the Connemore or his brother's. Johnny, are you feeling all right? Never felt better, and I'll see you in about an hour. I found what I was looking for in the library, then went back to Captain Lewis's office and told him what I was now beginning to believe. While I was there, Sam Hood called from Augusta with the answer to the question the police had asked him. Then I went alone down to the wharf on Viking Beach. Roy Hood was sprawled lazily over the deck of the Connemore, trying to sleep and at the same time keep an eye on a fishing line he tossed over the side. I started down the steps toward the boat. 
Well, doggone. Hi there, Mr. Dollar. Ah, morning, Leroy. Man, I sure didn't think you'd be back down here so soon. You know, Sam ain't back yet. Yeah, I know. You having any luck? Hmm? Oh, no, no, no. Just making believe. For real fishing, you got to go out beyond Gooseberry Island. Oh, how about taking me Sunday? Why, sure. Man, you just say the word and we'll go right now. Well, no, no. I'm afraid I couldn't do that this morning, Leroy. Well, you just let me know any time. Yeah. How fast this boat cruise? 25 knots. Now, ain't that something? Fastest boat between here and the Navy Station. How long would it take you to get over to the Mason home and back again? Why, well, wouldn't take no time at all. How come you asked that? Did you know Darla Mason was shot last night? Heard something about it, yeah. Do you know Darla Mason, Leroy? <clears throat> How could I know somebody like that? I don't know. But if you didn't know her, why did you try to kill her last night? You joking? No, not a bit. Oh, come on now, man. What you mean I tried to kill her last night? Just what I said. That ain't funny. That ain't one bit funny. But it's the truth, isn't it? The truth? Now, who told you that? Dollar. What? What, she couldn't have? No, why not? Because the papers say she's still unconscious. Besides, she couldn't see nobody around that boathouse last night. It was too dark. Dark as it was the night she killed Ruth Dixon. You know, you're beginning to get me riled, Dollar. That's so. It sure is so. Coming around here with all kinds of lies, saying I killed Ruth Dixon. I didn't say it. Your brother did. Sam? <laughs> Oh, man, now you really lying. Sam's in Augusta. You ain't seen him. We talked to him on the phone this morning. He told us about you and Ruth Dixon and the Mason girl and every other woman who comes around here. Well, just because I try to make a little time with him, that don't mean I killed nobody. Sam told us differently, Roy. He told us that you can't stand to have a woman laugh at you. Every time a girl has, you've tried your best to make her sorry for it. He really... You really did talk to Sam? What do you think? I... But why would he tell on me? Why? He never has before. He didn't want to, Leroy. That's why he left here when he did. He needed time to think. Decide what to do about his brother. About you. What you gonna do about it? What I have to do. Take you in. No. Nobody's taking me anywhere. I don't want to go. And anybody cries, they're gonna be sorry. Leroy. Leroy, come out of there. I'm coming. You look out, dog. You look out, you don't try stopping me. Leroy, come back. No! Johnny? You all right? Oh, yeah. I'm just fine. Come on up. All over. Yeah, Captain. I know. Tell me something. If I can. What put you on to him in the first place? Two things. You see, he liked the girls, wanted to be a lady killer. But they'd only laugh at him, and he couldn't stand that. I see. But the big thing is, what he named this boat? Connemore. I don't get it. Well, a man like Leroy, not much education, he'd have to have a real reason for wanting to name it that. But why? What's so special about that? You ever hear of Bluebeard? A lady killer? Sure, who hasn't? Well, Connemore was his real name. I saw Mrs. Dixon late that same afternoon. I'm afraid she was a bit disillusioned. Having been so sure that the person who had killed her daughter was a woman. But there was one funny thing. 
On the back of Leroy's left hand was a long red scar. Expense account total, including car rental, hotel bill, and transportation back to Hartford, $968.20. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a case that couldn't be solved because there was no solution. And yet, well, join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. Written by Charles B. Smith, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Gene Tatum, Jeanette Nolan, Frank Nelson, Russell Thorson, Sam Edwards, and Austin Green. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Earl Foreman, Johnny. In Sarasota? That's right. Florida? <laughs> Where else? Well, hi, Earl. How are things in the land of infernal sunshine? What do you mean, infernal? Well, it's getting pretty hot down there these days, isn't it? Makes good fishing weather, Johnny. Yeah, but without a case to work on, what possible excuse would I have? Maybe I have one for you. Oh? Yeah, and maybe it's murder. Earl, I'll be down on the next plane. <laughs> Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Life and Casualty Company Branch Office, Sarasota, Florida. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Parley Baron matter. Expense account item one, $131.50. Transportation and incidentals to Sarasota, Florida. Knowing Earl Poorman, I didn't bother checking into a hotel, but instead took a cab to his office in the Conroy building. Tall, lanky, easygoing, he welcomed me like a long-lost brother. Oh, Johnny, you're looking great. And I'm glad you're here, because you can clear up this case in a hurry, and then you and I can get out in the Gulf and do some real serious fishing. Oh, well, that's okay by me, Earl. Your last now, trip just... down here, you remember, they weren't biting so good. But, oh, Johnny, so help me now that... Oh, I see you've got your bags with you. Well, uh, yeah. Good, yeah. because you're going to stay with us out the house. Now, I'm not going to take any argument. I told that old battle-axe I'm married to to hang out an extra towel for you. How is Mike? Oh, she's great, just great. I never did understand how I was lucky enough to grab that dame, Johnny. Oh, well, now, I think maybe she kind of cares for you, too, Earl. <laughs> now, uh, about yeah, why women we show funny tastes sometimes. Hey, maybe the old horse will go fishing with us. Mike? Yeah. Anything over 10 pounds, it'd pull her right out of the boat. <laughs> but now, what kind Listen, of a problem? she's been getting pretty good with a rod and reel. Look, look, will you? This fishing uh, talk is just making my mouth water. First, I'd, we'd yes, better discuss... Yes, I, I, I know. Once I get started on fishing... I know. This... All right, now. Let's is get it... down to cases, huh? Uh, all right, if you insist. I insist. Yeah, all right. Okay. 
I was just trying to stall off having to. You know where Lido Key is? Lido? Yeah, a mile or so offshore, ju just beyond St. Armand's Key, where we live. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, a client of mine, a man I've known for years. He retired, bought himself a piece of property there, built a nice little home on it. His name is Parley Barron. So? Well, I've handled all his insurance for him, including a straight life at 50000 Uh-huh. Beneficiary? His wife, Laura Barron. And what's happened to him? Well, Friday morning, now that's the day before yesterday, he left the house just to do some errands. Well, go on. Yeah, well, he hadn't got back home by about 5 p.m., and his wife started calling around, trying to find out where he was, and nobody seemed to know. So finally she put in a call to the police. Who's your man there? Uh, Sergeant Harry Brackett. Oh, I remember him. Sure. Go on. Well, then around 7 p.m., they found Barron's car. Found it parked down by one of the fishing docks. But no sign of him? Not a sign, not then or since. Had he gone out fishing? Police questioned everybody, the boat owners, all the boat livery, everybody. Old Will Bright, who runs the dock where the car was parked, he was closed up. Sign on the door saying he'd gone up to Gainesville. Well, could Barron have had any reason to disappear? Oh, no, no. Well, not that anyone knows of. What kind of a person is his wife? Oh, no, no, she's very sweet, Johnny. She's a bit of a bore. But, oh, they doted on each other. All right, how about enemies? Parley Barron? Never. Sweet old guy. I sure hope you can find him. I, that he's still alive. I'm afraid I, I doubt it. Well, so far you've given me no reason to believe he's dead. Well, it's just a feeling, I guess. And I don't like it. Mm. Well, what else can you tell me, Earl? Nothing, really. Then maybe I'd better talk to Mrs. Barron and to the police. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here. You take my car. Oh, thanks. It's the new air-conditioned cat out in the back of the building. Well, what do you do? Oh, Michael picked me up. Now, we'll see you at the house for dinner, huh? Well, that may depend on what I find out in the meantime. Whenever I'll... you're ready, there's food and there's a bed waiting for you. And uh, I hope you... Well, I just hope you find Parley Barron. Pretty good friend of yours, isn't he? Oh, yeah, Johnny. He was. Earl seemed so sure that Barron was dead. I was pretty down in the mouth about it. But I wondered, did he know something about the old man that he hadn't told me? Ah, that didn't seem like Earl. He gave me the Barron's address on Lido Key, and I drove out there. Laura Barron was a fragile, gray-haired little old lady wearing steel-rimmed spectacles and with, well, with almost a sanctimonious air about her. She sat primly, properly straight in her chair as we talked, a Bible in her hand. Then Mr. Earl Poorman has told you as much as any of us knows, Mr. Dollar. I see. But uh, even the smallest bit of information may hold the key to finding your husband. Only prayer can help us now, Mr. Dollar, or help him if he's gone to the great beyond. How, uh... Well, tell me, how is he dressed on Friday morning when you last saw him? As you see him in the picture there on the table in old gray pants and a rather tattered sport shirt and that old straw hat. That shirt is blue? Yes. He was so happy the day that picture was taken. He'd just finished making an addition to our dock with his own two hands. He was so proud. Now... Yes, I, I'm sorry. He'd hoped to get his own little boat, too, for fishing. He loved to fish so. Yes, well, uh, tell me, please, do you know of anyone who might have wanted to harm your husband? Oh, dear, no. No, Mr. Dollar. And you'd had no... No argument or disagreement with him before he left here that morning. Huh? We had had no disagreement even about little things in 41 years of blessed marriage. Ah. Not even about his work. I see. 
what did he do before he returned, Mrs. Barrett? Oh, I, I had hoped you wouldn't ask that because I, I've always felt that the good Lord wouldn't approve. Of his work? I'm a very religious woman, Mr. Dollar, and as I say, in 41 years, we never questioned one another's thoughts or actions, but... What was your husband's work? I, I won't say that it was sinful, because he wasn't a sinful man. Polly was a good man, and many times he made it plain that his work helped to save lives, too. And I accepted it because he felt he was doing right. Yeah, well, you still he, haven't told me, Mrs. Barron. Always that... deep in my heart, Mr. Dollar. Yes. Have you thought that perhaps it may have been the intercession of divine providence that has taken Polly from us? Uh... <clears throat> no. But no, you I... must consider it, mustn't you? Because the workings of the power that guides our destinies, our birth and our Mrs. death... Mrs. Barron... They are sometimes too mysterious for us mortals fully to comprehend, much less question. Well... And so, if my beloved Parley has been taken from us for some divine purpose or for something he might have done unknowing that was not in accord with the supreme Mrs. will. Mrs. Barron, I'm sorry, but I would like to know what your husband's work was. I know, and perhaps it was my humble mission on earth, the cross I had to bear to guide him away from it to chemicals. He was a chemist, Mr. Dollar. Explosives. Explosives? Yes. Heaven, please forgive me for not having led him into some other Where field. did he work? Tampa. Dufresne Chemical Corporation. Dufresne. Oh, yes, I've heard of it. Explosive things to kill in defiance of the Almighty's purpose that we love one another. Yeah, that but we... now how, uh, how long ago was this? He retired in 1951. And since then? Here in Sarasota. And to keep himself occupied. Oh, this lovely home of ours and his fishing. Though he never caught anything. Oh, I see. Never caught anything, Mr. Dollar. Do you suppose that that was some retribution for the work he had done so long, for some error in his living or thinking? Well, I... <laughs> well, who knows, of course. Yes, who knows. But we should consider it, shouldn't we? Uh, uh, where did he do his fishing? He never told me, but he left here almost every day to try his skill. And always he came home empty-handed. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, thanks, uh, Mrs. Barron. I'm sorry to have had to ask you so many questions. It's all right, Mr. Dollar. My faith will sustain me through this ordeal. I'm sure it will. Thanks again. Here, you must take some of these pamphlets with them. Oh, Read them. Uh... Any aid to piety of the mind is good for all of us. Yes, well, thanks. I... The inspired word may help us all. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. I like to think that on the whole, I... Well, maybe I'm not too religious in the sense of going to church regularly and that sort of thing, but... Well, at least I try to live a decent sort of life and observe the golden rule and stick to some ideals, and... But in an atmosphere like that, well, I couldn't help wondering if her husband didn't have good reason for wanting to get away for a while. In any event, I'd got nowhere on the case, so I phoned Sergeant Harry Brackett. That's item two, ten cents. But the desk at headquarters said he wouldn't be back until about 6 p.m. And since I really had nothing to go on until I could see him, I dropped in on early again. You kidding? We'll take the boat, run out into the Gulf, and get some fish for dinner. It's the best time of day. So who was I to refuse? And within the hour, we were fighting the tide through the pass between Lido and Longboat Keys on our way along into the Gulf. 
Yeah, Johnny, I find I always have my best luck along about this time of day, just before sundown. I still ought to be back there working. Why? Sergeant Brackett won't be back at headquarters until 6 o'clock. You told me yourself. Now, what can you do until you talk to him and find out what leads he may have? Oh, man, you are a funny one. You call (laughs) me long distance to get down in a hurry, then insist I go fishing instead of working. Don't you know, fishing's the answer to more problems than anything else in the world. You got worries? Go fishing. You'll forget them. Got a nagging wife? Oh, don't let Mike hear you say that. (laughs) Well, she's different. You little shrimp. But you know what I mean. A writer, he wants ideas, he goes fishing. A businessman, a detective, huh? Well, go ahead and say it, an insurance investigator. <laughs> sure. I'll bet that more than once when you've been stumped on a case, why, if you had just relaxed your mind by going out somewhere and wetting a line... I wish it were that easy. And so far as this matter is concerned, I haven't even got started on it yet. Well, relax, anyway. Who knows? Maybe the answer to what's happened to poor old Parley Barron will... will... Well, we'll just come to you. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, sure, sure. Instead of you chasing Earl. Huh? Yeah? Up ahead, just to the right there. Where? Oh, yeah. Somebody's old beat-up straw hat. Yeah, and a little further. You know something? The tide will carry that skimmer right smack into the Earl, sea look. And if the fellow that lost look, it knows... further over to the right. Huh? What is that floating there? I don't know. Well, it looks like... Oh, good Lord. Johnny... It's a body, Johnny. We'll drift over to it. It's a body, all right. And that straw hat looks exactly like one I saw in a picture this afternoon. Here. I got it. Can you reach him, Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go now. Oh, good boy. All right, now let's see. Oh. Is it? Yeah. Are you sure, Earl? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Johnny, it's... Poor old Parley Barron. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Everyone loves kids, and every kid loves candy. American servicemen have heard the tearful cries for candy in most parts of the world, in Europe and the Far East during World War II and after. And there's never seemed to be enough candy to go around. Well, more than a dozen years ago, during the Berlin airlift, an Air Force lieutenant from the United States discovered he had no candy to offer some German children. However, he promised to drop them some candy the next day as he came in for a landing. Improvising a parachute out of his handkerchief, Lieutenant Gail Halverson dropped the candy bars the next day as he had promised. Now, this idea caught on among other Air Force men in the airlift, and that's how Operation Little Vittles began. The idea spread far and wide, and soon military personnel, civilians, business firms began to aid the goodwill program by supplying candy and handkerchiefs. Time after time, as the sleek cargo planes of the United States Air Force swooped low over the landing field, a shower of little bundles of sweets dotted the sky as their tiny parachutes carried them safely to the ground. And the hungry German children gathered up these bundles of mercy, which the communists try to keep from them. The men of the United States Air Force did a great job satisfying a lot of appetites, but they did more. By a wonderful sense of understanding, they nourished the cause of freedom, 
the right of all men and children everywhere. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Parley Baron Matter. Two days' exposure to the elements and the creatures of the sea had made almost unrecognizable a body that Earl Porman and I found floating in the Gulf of Mexico off Sarasota, Florida. But Earl was certain it was the remains of old Parley Barron, who had disappeared two days before. The men on duty at police headquarters confirmed the identification and placed the body in the morgue to await the autopsy surgeon. On a hunch, I asked Earl to drive me over to Will Bright's boat dock, where Barron's car had been left parked. Like I just finished telling the police over the telephone. I wasn't here when poor old Baron come for his boat on Friday. Oh, what a shame, such a nice old man. Where were you, Mr. Bryant? I was up to Gainesville, picking up some fishing tackle from a wholesaler. Well, then Mr. Barron must have got a boat from someone else that morning. Oh, no, 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 sir. No? No, no sir. Why not, Mr. Bryant? Oh, he never took out a boat from anybody else but me. His own boat. Uh, at least it was the one I kept set aside for him. And that's what kind of puzzled me, Mr. Dollar, is it? That's right. Well, you see, when I come back here Saturday night, his boat was right here at the dock. But it weren't tied up in its usual spot where I always tie it up. Somebody had moved it. Must have. And it weren't my helper, Pete. You know, Johnny, that means he may have taken it out, but whoever did him in returned it. Oh, possibly. Mr. Bright, which one is his boat? Oh, right here. I'll show you. I always give him the same one. Never let nobody else use it. That's why he kept his fishing tackle just laying in it, always ready to use. Here. Yeah, I see. I've heard he wasn't a very good fisherman. No, no, he never brought in the thing. Of course, maybe he was so soft-hearted he put back everything he caught. Or maybe his daily excursions were just to get away from his wife, Mr. Bright. Now, don't you say nothing against her, mister. Maybe she is a little touched on religion. Sure, she tries a different kind every couple of months, but she's a fine woman, uh, just like he was a fine man. And everybody knows it. Yeah. The whole town is mourning him. Excuse me. What are you looking for, Johnny? Well... I just noticed something about this tackle lying in the boat. Mm-hmm. Well? Come on. Thanks a lot, Mr. Brighton. Like to tell you what I think might have happened? Yeah, maybe later. Thanks. Well, what did you what did you find there, Johnny? Earl, did Parley Barron ever go fishing with you? You were good friends. No, no. He always wanted to go out alone. Yeah, but not to fish. Huh? That tackle box hasn't been moved in months. The paint is still dark under it. What? And that reel, I could hardly turn it. Well, then what? I don't know what. But Baron was using that boat every day for something besides fishing. Any ideas? You know him pretty well. Have you? No. Let's get over to headquarters. Earl felt he ought to go back to his office where his wife, Mike, had promised to pick him up. So I borrowed his car again and went over to headquarters alone. Sergeant Harry Brackett, who was assigned to the case, had returned. It was on the phone when I walked in on it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. What? Johnny. Yeah, hi, Harry. Yeah, Johnny, I'm sure glad you're here. I got a real mixed-up case on my hands. The party barren matter, huh? Well, you know about it? That's why I came to Sarasota. Earl Foreman called me. Have you found out anything? Not that much of you. Well, only what's here, the autopsy report. What's in it, Harry? Doc Snowden says that Parley Barron was dead before he was put into the water out there in the Gulf. Oh. No water in the lungs, you see what I mean? It probably means murder. Have you told anybody this? No, not yet. Why not? Well, I don't know. Maybe because I just can't figure anybody in the world would want to kill Parley Barron. Did you talk with Will Bright down at the boat dock? Just before you came in. 
You know, it sounds like somebody went with Barron in his skiff that morning. Killed him, dumped him over the side, and then brought the boat back alone, doesn't it? Yeah, except for one thing. Pete Marino, a little kid who plays around Bright's dock all the time, you're sort of a self-appointed caretaker when Bright isn't there. What about him? Well, Peter saw Mr. Barron take off in his skiff Friday morning alone. But he didn't see him come back. Pete went home for lunch. When he got back to the dock, skiff was in. Uh-huh. Then whoever did it met him out on the water somewhere. Maybe several people, so that one of them could return the skiff. Be taking an awful change, wouldn't it? How do you mean? Yeah, Doc's in a pretty isolated spot, all right, but the killer showing up in Baron's skiff without the old man long, that's too much of a change. How else could it be returned? <sighs> Tied. Tied? Little Pete says that when he got back to Doc, the skiff was there, all right, but not in his usual place. So Wilbright mentioned. Also, it wasn't tied up. It was just sitting there. Oh, then you meant untied. No, I meant T-I-D-E. When the tide's rising, it floats everything from the pass between Lido and Longboat Keys right up to Will's dock. You think the boat just floated back by itself? You got a better idea? Harry. Yeah? Are you sure it was Baron's body we picked up out there? After all, the fish and whatnot disfigured it pretty badly. Johnny, I've known him for years, and didn't Earl Pullman recognize him immediately? Yeah. And the clothes he was wearing, his own straw hat. Well, have you checked on his dental work, things like that? I'm waiting now for Dr. Dana. He was his dentist to get back to You know, that's a funny thing. Why? I called Dana the minute that body was brought in. Yeah. After all, teeth are about as solid identification as you can get. Oh, I thought you were sure anyway. Well, I wanted to be doubly sure. Anyhow, when Dana didn't get here right away, I called him again. I got his wife on the phone, and according to her, he suddenly left for Tampa. Urgent call or something. Where in Tampa? She didn't know. At least he wouldn't say, but it, it seems kind of fishy to me. Well, it may just be that one of his patients... Daner. That's right. The man who got so much publicity about atomic radiation studies, effects on the teeth and so on. That's the one. What's the matter, Johnny? Well, when you're stumped on a case, says Earl Pullman, go fishing. We did. We found a body. What are you getting at? Me, when I'm stumped, I play my hunches, no matter how crazy they may seem. And the hunch I have right now, man, is the craziest. I'll see you later. <laughs> I learned a long time ago in this business, when you got a hunch on the line, you play it for all it's worth. Item three, ten cents for a phone call from a booth in the drugstore just around the corner. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Dana? Uh, yes, this is Mrs. Dana. My name is Larkin, Mrs. Dana, from the Federal Bureau. The Federal Bureau? That's right, so you can see why it's important you say nothing to anyone about this call. How can I be sure you I'm are? simply checking to make sure your husband has followed instructions. Oh, I see. Has he left for Tampa? Why, yes, the minute he got the phone call. Did he tell you who called? Why, no, but I did hear him mention the name Dufresne. Dufresne? Yes, only he didn't know I heard. And... Oh, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it. Just be sure you don't mention it to anyone else. Oh, no. Goodbye. <laughs> Item 4, 390, at the sign of the Flying Red Horse on the way to Tampa. The least I could do for the use of Earl's car was fill the gas tank, on expense account, of course. The FBI gag had worked before, so I used it again to bowl my way through the gate at Dufresne Chemical Corporation and to the office suite of Dufresne himself. I wasn't at all surprised to see activity in the suite, despite the late hour. Sir, are you the man the front gate just called about? Yes, that's right, FBI. Which is the door to Mr. Dufresne's office? Well, I'm afraid he has some people with him, sir. What did you say your name is? Never mind. Is this the door? Sir, please, you'll have to wait. Come in, Mr. Dollar, come in. Oh. I'm Arnold Dufresne. This is Dr. Dana, and this is Mr. McLaughlin of the Federal Bureau. How are you? We've been expecting you. Oh, uh, have you? Sit down, Dollar. 
I guess this is your show now, McLaughlin. My credentials, Mr. Dollar? First, I suppose I should prefer charges against you for impersonating a member of the Bureau. Uh, yeah, well, I... I can uh... hardly say that I blame you, though, under the circumstances. Incidentally, our man in Sarasota's had quite a time keeping track of you. You mean there was a tail on me? From the moment you arrived. No kidding. Well, we didn't dare take the chance that you might upset things for us. After all, you've a reputation for being pretty sharp. We should have anticipated that you might be called in on the case, but though we planned things very carefully, we... Uh... Well, shall we say, overlooked you, even as we almost slipped up with Dr. Dana here, who would identify that body. Look, will you please tell me what this is all about? A man named Poorman called you in Hartford and asked that you come here to investigate the disappearance of his old friend and client, Parley Barron. Right? Yeah, that's right. Now, where is he? What happened to Barron? Do you know? We do. And we were afraid you might find out and let the, uh, shall we say, cat out of the bag. That is why we were all ready to send for you to come here, but... Well, as it turned out, you came all by yourself. Uh, Mr. McLeod. Harley Barron, by the way, Mr. Dollar, is all right, alive, healthy, and happy. Then that body we picked up, dressed in his clothes? Well, during the last war, Mr. Barron, as a research chemist, made vitally important contributions to our, or shall we say, national security. Oh. He was too valuable a man to lose, even though his wife objected to his work for religious reasons. Uh, yeah, I uh, gathered that from talking to her. Or perhaps you even thought she might somehow be implicated in his disappearance. Uh, the thought certainly entered my mind. Well, in any event, so that he could continue to have a happy home and at the same time carry on his tremendously important work, we arranged for the little deception that has been going on for some years now. His so-called daily fishing trips. That's right. But each morning in a small hidden cove, I needn't tell you where, he was picked up and brought here to Tampa to carry on his work. Well, I'll be done. No one was the wiser. Even our, shall we say, uh, competitor nations in atomic and missile research who were bound to keep tabs on such a man, they knew only that he was working for the Dufresne Chemical Corporation. They and that, did know that, huh? Well, we must suppose so. International espionage is pretty well organized these days. Mm. But uh, now this disappearance, Mr. Were changes in plans for nuclear developments had made it mandatory that he spend some time in... Uh, well, elsewhere. Where? Well, shall we say somewhere in New Mexico or something like that. So to openly send him there would have indicated to our competitors what these new developments could be. That had to be avoided at any cost. Therefore, the plan for his disappearance was carefully worked out and carried out. Then whose body was it we picked up? Well, some poor unidentified old derelict who was on his way to Potter's Field. I see, I see. Well, believe me, if the Bureau functions this thoroughly in everything it does... Oh, we try. But what about Mrs. Barron? Oh, she'll bear up. We, of course, made sure of that in the beginning. And then when her dear husband does return... Well, will that be? When his work is finished. And, of course, that'll be too late for our friends across the sea to catch up with us. And we've worked out a completely plausible story to cover his absence. Oh, I'm sure you have. Now, Dr. Dana here will return to Sarasota in the morning. He will confirm identification of the body that was fished from the sea with only uh, sufficient reservation to protect his professional reputation when Parley Barron reappears. All right. Now, what an insurance claim is filed on Barron? Well, I'm sure Mrs. Barron won't file for some time unless urged to by your friend Poorman. Oh, I can prevent that without telling him anything. That's fine. What's more, with the pension that some companies have for... Shall we say slow action on claims? Well, don't let them hear you say that. Well, Baron will be back before you need to worry about it. Now, is uh, that okay with you, Mr. Dollar? 
shall we say, okay. And once more, I tip my hat to the FBI. Expense account total, including plane fare and incidentals back to Hartford, $421.50. Remarks? For obvious reasons, I have used fictitious names throughout this report and, of course, delayed filing it until obtaining official clearance. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a strange old character, the most beautiful girl I've ever met, and money all over the place. Counterfeit. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Jeanette Nolan, Will Wright, Barney Phillips, Lawrence Dobkin, Stacey Harris, and Harry Bartell. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverley speaking. <laughs>